Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Are you going to sit down? Can I get this out? Yeah. you going to sit down or are you going to stand? Um, okay, I want to just take a note of the time. Can somebody take a note of the time for me? It's 25. Because whatever happens, Tom will say that I spoke for a really, really, really long time. So can someone tell me what the time is? 11.17. Okay, I'm just going to peg this. Tom, could you read the scripture for me? That would be good. Okay. It's, which bit is it? Hang on, give me a sec. Gideon okay. 6? I mean, Judges 6? Yeah. Gideon... <laughs> Judges chapter 6. Judges 6, verses 11 to 16, or 15. Okay, here we go. Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Okay, thank you guys. This is one of my very favorite passages um, from the Bible. So. Yeah, Tom is right in that I could speak for a very long time, but I will not. I am going to touch on many things. I am not an expert. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. But I'm going to touch on a few subjects today because it's things that I feel like God's been speaking to me about. So Gideon is in hiding. We have learned from previous weeks. Tom spoke to us and then Jesse spoke to us about how the Israelites are being pillaged year after year by Midian. They are struggling. They probably are kind of a different generation to the people who saw the promises of God fulfilled. They are struggling to hold on to to what God has promised, what he has said. Gideon is incredibly aware of his weakness when uh, the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to him. 
He says, and we are going to focus on verse 15 for most of my uh, talk. He says, I am the weakest of the tribes of Israel and I am the least of my family. He is saying, I am the weakest and I am the least. Um, for Gideon, like many of us, I'm sure, the, the kind of shame he feels in his life, and we're going to go on to talk a bit more about shame, is kind of rooted in his family of origin. He feels shame, not because of something he's done. I'm sure he has done things wrong. But his shame is rooted in the fact that he was born into a particular tribe and into a particular family as the youngest son. He believes that his family of origin and his background disqualifies him. And basically, he says to the angel of the Lord, he says, please, this, you've got this wrong. Please send somebody else. Now, Brenny Brown, which I'm sure lots of you have heard of, she has done extensive research into shame. Um, she's kind of become famous as an author. She's had a Netflix series um, and an incredibly famous TED talk on vulnerability. Um, she's done extensive research into shame and she defines shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore we are unworthy of love and belonging. Um, she says through her research that we all experience shame. So if you're thinking, oh, this talk isn't for me, I promise you as we go deeper, I'm sure there is an area in your life where you have disqualified yourself or you avoid certain situations because you are scared of feeling shame. Um, we may experience shame because, as we said, of our family, uh, because of where we grew up, because maybe of our family of origin, because of our country of origin. Um, we may experience shame because of our appearance. And this, I think, is huge in our Western culture. We experience shame, men and women, young and old, uh, because of our weight, our height, our age, our shoe size, our skin, whether we've got kind of trendy clothes or not. We experience so much shame around our appearance. We may experience shame around our financial status or our employment or lack of employment, our education, um, maybe our mental health or our sexuality. Um, and we may experience shame because of things that have even been done to us in the past or things that we have done ourselves in the past, mistakes we have made. So abuse or trauma or sin or addiction. Um, as I've said for Gideon, there seems to be this generational shame that has a massive hold on him. It's not about something he's done, it's about who he is. And he believes that he is flawed and there's nothing that he can do about that. And childhood, childhood events, um, probably we can all think back to a cringe-worthy moment in our childhoods where we felt shame or as a teenager. Because as children, we do not know to put our guard up. We don't protect ourselves. Um, we're, not, we're not, thankfully, we are free <laughs> and so we do things 
that free children do. We adopt, we're not protecting ourselves from shame or from our nakedness. And so we can probably all look back to moments in our childhoods where we experienced shame for the first time. And as I said, that might be something that was done to us or there might be something, um, a mistake that we made or just the family that we um, were born into. And the problem is um, when we experience shame, it's not like other emotions like worry or excitement or I don't know, even fear. Um, that we can, it's just kind of fleeting and we can get away from it. Shame kind of takes up residence in us and it seeps into us and we internalize it. And it kind of becomes who we think we are. So shame isn't, is kind of much more about we are bad, whereas guilt or humiliation might be about us feeling bad. Shame is this thing the most unlovable part of us, the core that we don't want anybody to see. Oh, I've got to work with my pegs here, hang on. Okay, so as adults, we uh, wear armor and we wear masks. Ha ha ha. And uh, we learn to protect ourselves. And um, probably even as a teenager, having a couple of teenagers myself, I can see kind of armor starting to go up. You start kind of not wanting to take risks. You start feeling aware of not wanting to feel kind of a fool if you try something new. Um, and as we go into adulthood, we, we put armor on to protect ourselves from ever having to experience the feeling of shame. And in a way, we become a slave to shame it controls what we do. Just the fear of experiencing it kind of controls what we do. And it profoundly affects the way that we interact with the world and in our relationships, maybe in terms of what career we choose, what, how we think we're doing educationally, what our aspirations might be, and also probably how we um, kind of serve within church or how we step out in our spiritual lives and our walks with God. It, it totally kind of affects who we are and how we live our lives. And uh, a lady, uh, another book that I've read by Darlene Lancer, and this is a horrible image, so I'm very sorry, but um, she says, shame feels like you are wearing dirty underwear that everybody can see. And I know that is a horrible image, but it kind of, um, it kind of sums up even probably like memories you're having as I talk about this, that feeling of, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that is over and I don't, nobody here needs to know about that moment in my life where that thing happened. And uh, the fewer risks that we take, the safer we feel. So the less we do, that could mean we may experience shame, the safer we feel. We choose not to put ourselves out there and we develop a survival instinct. And uh, we avoid making ourselves vulnerable in the hope that we will never um, be exposed. Uh, I mean, there's lots and lots of things I could say from my own personal experience, but my mum may listen to this, so um, I love her dearly. And uh, one thing I did want to share, sorry, mum, 
is that I grew up, um, grew up in a, like a single parent family and there were lots of different shame related things that came with that, although it was a wonderful childhood. Um, but my mum is not a natural driver and um, she, she <laughs> had no choice but to learn to drive because my dad left, we lived in a village, we needed um, to be able to get places. And there was a lot of shame actually involved in have people having to give us lifts everywhere. We were like the family who needed to be picked up for church. Um, but my mum needed to learn to drive. I am not joking, for my whole primary school, which is the same as elementary here, my mum was learning to drive, seriously. My mum had nine driving tests, and I remember being about 11, and her turning up at school saying, I passed! But then she was terrified to actually drive on motorways or freeways, as you would call them. Um, and so, but she overcame that fear, she did it. But for me, that meant that driving became this like, oh my goodness, I'm never gonna be able to drive. We grew up loving the countryside, loving walking. So I'm just like, well, I don't have to drive. I can just walk everywhere. I love walking. And so it wasn't until I was pregnant with Daisy that it got to the point where I was doing a job where it just meant this is getting a bit ridiculous. <laughs> I was carrying like my work bag around with me, walking places. And uh, yeah, I learned to drive. But it came at a massive cost to me because putting myself out there meant that I had to face vulnerability and it didn't come naturally to me. <laughs> it still doesn't, does it? It doesn't, does it, Christine? No. And um, unless I'm on my own in the car and then I'm fine. But if anyone else is in the car, really bad driver. So sorry about that, everybody. Um, James Walker actually is keeping a list of all the things that I do wrong when I drive him to school each day. So he said he's making a bar chart on all the things that I do wrong. So that's encouraging anyway. Um, so that is one small example that actually I feel because I faced it, isn't so much of an issue for me anymore. But literally, I would have said that I would have preferred to jump out of a plane than I would have wanted to learn to drive. Like it was that much of kind of a stumbling block for me. And I'm sure we all have um, things like that in our lives. So Brené Brown says the experience of shame or the fear of shame erodes courage and it fuels disengagement. And we meet Gideon in this story um, at a point where he has disengaged. He is in hiding. He is not thinking I'm going to be somebody to help kind of solve Israel's problems. Um, he is in a place where he, he doesn't want to be noticed by anyone, let alone God. And God comes to him and says, I want you to save Israel. You are a mighty warrior. And this pushes every button in Gideon. This is a massive trigger for him. He does not want to risk, he does not want to be made vulnerable. And uh, I just want to say, like, if God asks you to do stuff, and I'm sure most of us who've been Christians a while know that usually if God asks us to do something <laughs> or we read something in the Bible and we just have that feeling of, oh, this applies to me, it usually requires risk and it usually will require some vulnerability. And so how do we overcome this fear of shame and how do we overcome this feeling um, that yeah we, we're just not good enough that we cannot do it 
Now there's two things I wanna just focus on today. Um, one, I believe we have to be honest about our inadequacy. And second, secondly, I believe we have to be aware of God's adequacy. Okay, so honest. So Gideon, I'm sure like me, many of you grew up kind of learning about Gideon and almost kind of, he was characterized as like a coward, um, a scaredy cat that he almost like, we kind of laugh at him and think, oh, I'd never be, I'd never do that. <laughs> the reality is Gideon is actually really honest and humble in terms of kind of having a sober assessment of himself. Um, Jordan in his commentary says, Gideon responds with humility. He is the youngest son of Joash and the family of Joash is the weakest in Manasseh. And after all, Manasseh is one of the inferior tribes of Israel compared with Ephraim and Judah. Gideon is a most unlikely candidate for this task. And it will be necessary for God to build up his faith. But we must remember that God is teaching his people how to make war and that holy war is fought by faith. Gideon and Israel have to learn that however weak they are, God could still destroy the enemy when they look to him in faith. So actually he has a correct view of himself. He is weak. Um, Paul in the book of Romans says that we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly um, than we ought. We, we shouldn't actually have this kind of self-inflated view of ourselves. We should look at ourselves soberly. God hates pride. He doesn't actually want us to pretend that we are heroes and that we have it all together. In fact, that doesn't really help anybody and it doesn't help him. Um, Gideon's humility actually reminds us of Moses and, and many other stories in the Bible. Moses also in Exodus, when God comes to him, he says, no, <laughs> I'm not the right person for this job. I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. He says, oh Lord, please send somebody else. But the amazing thing is in our inadequacy, God steps in and God's adequacy becomes just all the brighter and all the stronger because we're not trying to do it in our own strength. Um, rather than excluding us, it is, oh, 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 sorry, I, I dropped the thing, hang on. Oh, little breather there, good. So excited. You're so excited. I am excited. Sorry. It pinged off me, the thing. <laughs> Excuse me. Glad you're my husband. Okay. <laughs> okay, so where am I? Okay, basically, um, the, their weakness, Moses and Gideon and us, rather than their weakness excluding them, their weakness is actually the very reason that God has chosen them. Unfortunately, we do not like the feeling of weakness. We despise weakness. We hate feeling weak. If we are gonna step out and do something, 
we want to practice on our own first and make sure that we're amazing at it. We do not want to step out and look like a fool. Um, we have an enemy that makes us kind of swing, pendulate between pride and shame. And we either want to feel like we are amazing at something <laughs> or we're not going to do it at all. Um, or he brings shame that will make us not even try and will just make us completely disengage. 1 Peter says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is waiting to pull us either into pride or into shame. So God knows our weakness. He is not surprised and he's not shocked by it. In fact, he, he chooses to work through it. And he is completely adequate for everything that he calls us to do. He's never gonna to call us to something that he isn't gonna show up for himself. So in response to Gideon's inadequacy, God stacks his adequacy. He says, but I will be with you. It will not be you saving Israel, it will be me. Um, Jordan, again from his commentary says, God opens the conversation with a striking promise, the promise of his presence. This is the basic promise of the covenant, Emmanuel, God with us. Because God will be with him, he will be a valiant warrior. Gideon does not have to depend on himself. He doesn't have to go to kind of like warrior camp and go and become an amazing kind of ninja. God is asking him because he's weak. God has a plan. Um, I just want to tell you one like quick story of where this has been so true in my life. Um, as you know, we are not from here. We came from England and I had a very nice life in England. My life was, was great, you know, not all the time, but we had a, I had a plan of what I was going to be doing in England. And then God spoke to Tom about four years ago, probably about five years ago now, um, about moving to the States, um, not initially to go to San Francisco, but to go to Visalia, uh, to go to California. Um, I did not feel a sense of call, not one little tiny smidgen of call. I was never in the room when Tom got the prophecies. I was not there when he received the, these amazing kind of words from God. Um, and it was really hard. I had lots of different reasons, most of them to do with kind of the fear of letting down my family, of leaving and taking their beautiful grandchildren away. Um, but also pride issues of, I was, felt like I wanted to get on with the life that I had planned in England and with the friendships I had there and the things he called me to in the UK. Um, and as time went on, I felt like I was losing control because God was continuing to speak to Tom and he wasn't speaking to me. And um, it got to a point where I knew I probably had to do this thing. I had to do it, but I was so mad at God for not showing me, not giving me you know, an audible message. Um, and then I had a dream and it was in the midst of a really dark time. I was really struggling with lack of control and um, I had a dream, one of those dreams where you've got to jump off a cliff and you know you've got to jump 
but you're just terrified and you can feel all the emotions I'm sure people feel if they're going to jump out of a plane or I don't know, but I didn't have a parachute. So I was really scared. And in the dream, I jump off the cliff and I'm literally in my dream thinking, well, I'm just going to die. I'm dying now. And instead of falling to my doom, it's literally just like a step, like a little step onto a ledge. And I have that feeling of being caught and almost like God catching me. And I, there's not even, I mean, it's just the easiest thing in the world. And I woke up the next day and I just felt like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I've got to just make the jump and he is going to catch me. I'm not going to get this massive kind of equipping necessarily beforehand, but he is going to um, catch me. I need to make myself vulnerable. I need to risk this. And actually then it was almost like once I said, okay, I'm going to be obedient to you, God. Then God started speaking to me and really showing me kind of reasons why he wanted me to come, which was good. Um, Brené Brown says, says she has discovered from her research that the happiest people, the most wholehearted, um, people who live the most wholehearted lives are those who engage regularly with the feeling of vulnerability and taking risks. Through stepping out, taking risks, making ourselves vulnerable, she discovered that people build up resilience to shame. One second. <laughs> Come on, Lydia, help me. Help me, Lydia. Oh, I hate wind. No, not that one. Oh, okay. This is Tom's one. He can find that. Um, okay. So, through making ourselves vulnerable, it's weird. It's almost like by using that muscle of stepping out and doing things that scare us, it's almost like we build up this strength and we build up a resilience to feeling shame. And I think this is just so incredible because it's almost like the, the opposite thing to what you think you should do is the very thing that actually kind of zaps the shame and stops you from feeling the shame. By putting yourself out there and exposing yourself by doing something like this, you know, out in the park. <laughs> um, you actually squash shame every time you step out and do something that your body and your mind is telling you you should not do, you are not capable of doing. Nobody in my family preaches. I didn't, I, we grew up, we were back row kids. We were, <laughs> we got to church late so that we didn't have to talk to anyone and so we could leave early. And I ended up marrying a pastor. Like God has put me in so many situations where I, it, it's like you've completely got the wrong person. Um, Theodore Roosevelt famously said, this is from his Man in the Arena talk. He said, it is not the critic who counts nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who at the very best 
knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. And I just, I just love that quote. It's saying, taking risks of any kind, and this is what Gideon had to do, and he only did after having kind of tested God numerous times, um, we probably will fail. Like, we don't get good, good at stuff. Like, you know, the first time we do it, we will make mistakes. We will have to learn. We will have to ask for help. But greater joy and greater freedom comes from trying rather than from disengaging. Um, and through being honest about our inadequacy and aware of God's huge, huge adequacy, we can be confident. Like Paul, in Philippians, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then in Romans, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from sin and death. And this is what um, Jesus calls us into. On the cross, he achieved so much for us through his death and his resurrection. He made it possible that we can know freedom. We are not defined by things that happened in our past. The old has gone and the new has come. We can walk into things, not thinking this disqualifies me or that disqualifies me or people, people are gonna see right through me. We can walk into things knowing we are hidden in Christ and our identity is completely found in him. Tom, do you want to just come and tinkle? Tinkle in England means on the guitar tinkling, not anything else. <laughs> so I just want to ask you, um, how does that apply to you? I might have just, you know, just kind of blasted you with so many things, but how does that apply to you? What are the moment, um, what areas do you feel like you disqualify yourself in because you feel scared of fe feeling shame or that you might be exposed? And these can be small things. They're not all massive things. We're not just talking about like career change or preaching or starting a business. You know, this could be a small thing like reaching out and being friends with someone or um, being honest in small group like Max and Matt said earlier. Like small groups can be a place of vulnerability where we can start to actually be honest about the things we're struggling with. Um, we can show the dark side, you know, <laughs> that feeling where you just want to be honest that your day was really hard, but everyone else looks like they've had a really good day. And you feel shame that you're not in a strong place like they are. Um, and what kind of limits do you put on yourself? or on God? Do you have faith that He is a God of adequacy, that He has everything um, that you need? If He's asking you to do something, if you're getting that little nudge, then He has everything that you need.
do you feel um, more concerned about feeling shame or experiencing failure than you do about being obedient to God? Um, John Wimber said, the economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom costs us everything we have gained to date. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security that we have accumulated up to that point. The disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there is anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It is the willingness to put our hand in His hand and say, I am terrified half to death, but I will go with you, Lord, and I will risk everything to go with you. You are the pearl of great price. And yeah, I just want to ask you, maybe just close your eyes. Maybe just close your eyes where you are. And um, I just want, we're going to sing. That's singing another song. Yep. And um, just while we sing this song, just think about what area maybe you're holding on to tightly, where you maybe have disengaged, where you just feel like the risk is just too much. The feeling of shame would be too much. Um, maybe it's that you need to tell someone. Maybe it's that you need to reach out to someone this morning and just say, look, will you pray with me about this? I just know I need to move forward in this thing. I need to be obedient. Yeah, I'm just going to pray for us. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this word through Gideon. I thank you that you chose a weak man like us. I thank you that you, throughout the Bible, you do not choose rock stars. You do not choose heroes, Lord. You choose normal people. And, and Jesus, I pray that we would not be people who live in shame. We would not be people who are tied up in knots because of things that happened in our past, God. I pray that we would be people who really hold on to the truth of what you achieved in at the cross and through your resurrection, that we walk free, God. I pray that would be an amazing testimony to people around us, God, that we can walk free of shame, even if that means it costs us something, Jesus. Yeah, we just thank you, God. I just pray you would speak to individuals this morning, gently, tenderly, and you would do a work in us, Jesus. You would lead us to more freedom. You'd lead us to more joy, Jesus. Yeah, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just so, so appreciate. So appreciate my honey. There you go. There you go. <laughs> we made it. Well then, darling. I feel like um, we're going to sing, Lord, I need you, and Daisy's going to come and join me in a moment. Hasn't she done well? Can we just give her a clap? I'm so proud of her. Um, I really just want to really underline that this is a really practical 
talk. Pretty practical sermon. This isn't just like a, hmm, thanks, I'm going to think about that. The whole point is that there are practical, so practical. Physical, say physical. Physical. Say tangible. Tangible. Tangible things that we are being called to do, not just to think about. And it is in the doing. It is in the doing of them. I'm looking across this room and I know a lot of your lives. I know, I know there are things right now that you are thinking about and facing. And I know that as we get ready for this year, as we re-engage as a church, as we think about more and more people coming and some of you stepping up to lead small groups and teams and in your private lives as there's new things to do, that step, that actual step of faith is so huge it's wonderful it's not easy you're in a safe environment where you can do that so we're going to sing again lord i need you because as we've heard this isn't about anything ultimately in us innately this is about jesus who is with us enabling us to do that which we could never do i'm so relieved all the pressure is on him hallelujah it's such a relief the resurrected jesus Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, without you, I fall on, you're the one that guides my heart. we thank you so much that in you we find uh, that place of total safety where lord we do not have to pretend to be anything more than we are i am so grateful that in this year for tom shaw you have shown me how i've been carrying more shame than i ever realized and my prayer over this precious this precious family that you died for and you rose for lord i just pray and i prophesy as it were freedom to admit and confess those areas that we feel inadequate in 
and just that ability to just bring it into the light and to take risks nonetheless. I pray for a year in private and in public, small and in big, this church would be a mighty church. Mighty. We may be small in number, but we are mighty in the hands of God, just like Gideon's army. Lord, we say yes. Yes to all that you have for us, even when it's scary. Yes to going again and again, even when we feel inadequate. Amen. Amen. I'd encourage you in your sanctuary small groups this week to to really unpack this more. That's a great, safe, smaller place where you can be perhaps really vulnerable about some areas of shame or... Um, yeah, vulnerability that you want to talk about in a place that's really just even more intimate and safe than here. Billy, do you want to come and close us? Thank you, brother. Right. I only heard a little bit of it, but the bit that I did was fire. <laughs> we'll get a recording it maybe mm -hmm. hey um that's a wrap i think a full lid as they say just a couple things as we go uh as a, on the way out go grab your kid 